Police tell Eyewitness News Wesley John Moore and Richard Antonio Moore were caught just before 3.30 in the 2200 block of 19th Street in downtown Philadelphia. The arrest was made by the FBI Fugitive Task Force. Police tell Eyewitness News both men were in a relative's house and did not resist arrest. The Moore brothers are wanted on first-degree murder warrants in connection with the February 7th shooting death of Sergeant Bruce Prothero during a robbery at J. Brown Jewelers in Pikesville. In today's world, it has become far too common to turn on your TV and see a news headline about an arrest such as this. In our minds, we stow away these news headlines as the work of troubled individuals and therefore something we can't relate with and cannot sympathize with. In the book, The Other Westmore by Westmore, we learn about the story of two individuals with the same name, born within the same neighborhood that end up living drastically different lives. One Westmore is the author of the book, and a Rhodes Scholar, who goes on to live what many would deem to be a successful life. The other Westmore, who is mentioned in the initial soundbite, ends up imprisoned for participation in armed robbery. While the title of the book stresses the name Westmore, the book is more than just a story about two specific people. The more important aspect of this title is the word other, a reference to the other side of the story and the subtle differences between people that lead them down their respective paths in life. That's what we'll be talking about today, the lessons that we can learn from this book about the environment and how the circumstances within it lead us to where we are or where we eventually will be. By looking at examples from the book and evidence from the world today, we hope to gain an understanding of the decisions we make, the influence of other people, and the context of our surroundings on the overall outcome of our lives. Okay, so just a couple of notes before we get into the nitty-gritty of this podcast. First off, I'm not an expert on this topic, so please take anything I say with a grain of salt. I've tried to do my research, but obviously there may be a couple of discrepancies. Uh, secondly, I'll be referring to each, because both main characters in the story are named Wes Moore, we're going to refer to one of them as Author Wes, as in the Author Wes who's a Rhodes Scholar, and we'll refer to the other Wes as Other Wes, because that's how the title I want him to be seen. We'll start off by talking about how this book mentions decision-making and the tendencies of the individual when it comes to that. Let's start off at the root of the cause, which is human nature, which all of us possess. Mencius, who is an early Confucian philosopher, was the first to talk about human nature in a way that sheds light on, his, on its goodness. In the other Wes's case, it's apparent that he wants to do what he sees as good in life, even though he's entrapped in the drug game. We learn about this when he says, I want to get out, do something different with my life, but I'm tired of running these streets. After a troubled life up to this point, it becomes almost impossible for Raider to think that there is a way out for Wes, but he still possesses that basic quality to realize that his larger purpose in life is not currently being met. And even though he's really far into the drug game, he knows that it, he can make it out with a lot of hard work. The, this same hard work is present in the author Wes's introduction into military school, school, where it's a lot of hard work and reluctance from him at first. The hard work is also present within Wes's mom, who has to single-handedly take care of her kids, her parents, all while working multiple jobs. In many ways... Wes, Wes, and her Wes's mom's stories are ours. We all have battles that we're currently fighting, or we will fight. This book teaches us that perseverance through those tough times. 
Wes tells us that we have to keep in mind what we are fighting for to help us through. In Wes's case, it was a better life for himself, and for Wes's mom, it was a better life for those around her. Here's, here's another quote, quote to bring us to our next point. The chilling truth is that his story could have been mine. The tragedy is that my story could have been his. When I first started reading this book, I thought that the author Wes was trying to use that first person for the other Wes to try to show the audience how interchangeable their lives were. That's how similar their lives were at the start. Both grew up in single parent households. Both were caught in the midst of academic and disciplinary problems at school and were arrested at a very young age. These stark similarities show us how important decisions can be in changing the larger context of our lives because both of them have very similar introductions, but all that stuff that happened in between changed their eventual outcome. Wes also states, quote, This book is meant to show us how our destinies can be determined by a single stumble down the wrong path or a tentative step down the right one. This elaborates on our previous point, because Wes outlines the importance of decision-making by illustrating it as the main purpose of the book. And in many ways, the importance of decision-making is the most important moral that we can learn from this book. So I just want you to think about it. So many of the actions and decisions that you make today will shape what you're doing tomorrow. From what you're eating for lunch tomorrow or what assignment you'll be working on, we make decisions in order to learn and make in order to form our future. But the thing about decisions is that some of the decisions we make are more impactful in the long run. But the thing is, we don't know which will matter more. That's why this story teaches us to take any decision we come across seriously and take advantage of each decision for self-betterment. In the West's stories of second chances, the most important decision in their life, by far, are ones that they wouldn't have recognized as important in the first when they first came across them. For one West, it's military school, who he's very apprehensive to join. We're reminded also of the brevity of life in order to emphasize the importance of these second chances that we come across. Wes says, quote, I sat back, allowing Wes's words to sink in. Then I responded, I guess it's hard sometimes to distinguish between second chances and last chances. For the other Westmore, it's really unexpected when he gets arrested. He doesn't know that that's his last chance of living a normal life. For the other Wes, for the author Wes, I mean, his dad's death shows him how important it is to utilize the chances he gets from a very early age. That's why he begins to value those second chances. Wes learns that life cannot be predicted. From this instance, the lesson of getting up from tragedy is seen in Wes's mom's reaction to her husband's death. His dad has a severe inflammation of the epiglottis, which is the flap in the throat, and he's quickly brushed off on medical officials, which eventually leads to his death. Instead of getting mad at those health officials and filing a heavy lawsuit, she donates the money she gains to research into the cause that led to her husband's death. We learn from her example to not dwell on the past and look towards the future. We see that the impact of decisions is very important culminating in the end goal of both Wes's life. So let's take a moment to be grateful for all the chances that we've gotten and really, whatever chance that comes across you next and whatever decision you have to make, make sure it's a decision that you want to make and the decision that makes you the best person that you can be. Because as we've learned from this story, decision-making is a very important tool in life. 
they can truly determine the course that your life takes. Okay, so many of the decisions you make come from within and are products of what, who you are as a person. However, several factors influence that decision that we finally make. Primary in which are the effects of those people that surround you. Let's start off by talking about a quote in the book. Wes says, quote, When we're young, it sometimes seems as if the world doesn't exist outside our city, our block, our house, our room. We make decisions based on what we see in that limited world and follow the only models available. Westmore explains that the influence of others is even stronger on you as a child. And this is very true. If you look at your own life, if I look at my life, for example, there wasn't much, I didn't know much about the surrounding world when I was really little. It was all about my friends, my family, and those that were around me. So your parents, friends, and siblings really mold how you handle situations, especially as a youngster. This is even more true for those inner city kids like the Wests because their view of the world is limited. They don't get to experience much of the traveling and much of the doing goings of the outside world because they're trapped in their own society. Furthermore, the single parent household that both Wests live in makes it harder for the parent to deliver guidance to their child because they're busier. Think about some of the major decisions that they made. Baltimore West was urged on by a desire to gain status amongst his peers when he was introduced into the drug life. West was pushed into a positive direction by his family members attending the military school. All the people that were really close, closest to both of these individuals were the ones that eventually led them to their respective paths in life. Ultimately, what forms our own decisions is our own expectations. But still, these expectations are formed by those people that surround us. Wes says, quote, I realize then how difficult it is to separate the two. The expectations that others place on us to help us form our expectations of ourselves. So those two, the expectations that we have on ourselves and the expectations of others go very hand in hand. Going back to Wes's military school experience, which was really striking to me and as, as a pivotal turning point, in Wes's life. So Wes is really apprehensive at first when he gets to, medical, uh, to military school. He runs away several times just in his first week. He's allowed a phone call home after his fourth time running away, in which his mom reiterates why he is there. She tells him that so many people are expecting him to do well, all his family members, all his friends in the neighborhood, and so many people, including herself, have sacrificed so much time and money for Wes to be there. While that message doesn't instantly click with him, it carries along throughout the rest of his journey at the school, where he excels because he has he set that expectation to do well, and that's modeled by his family's expectations of him. He really wants to meet what his family has set because they're close to him, and it, it's important to him to reach the goals that they want him to reach. On the other side of the coin, we see some positive influences in other Wes's life, but what causes his expectations to but what causes his expectations to differ? Tony, who's probably the biggest influence on Wes, is also one of the biggest drug dealers in the city. He recognizes what's wrong with the street life that he's living, and he tries to guide his younger brother to a different future. He's entrapped in the street life because he's so far in, and it's his only means of survival. So his rendition of doing good, back, going back to our human nature, um, being good thing, 
is guiding others to good and guiding the one person who's closest to him to good. But why doesn't Tony's guidance really work? It's because Wes and their direct their relationship is very distant. Tony doesn't check up on Wes enough and does not practice what he preaches, preaches, which further disheartens Wes from listening to his brother, who's a real big role model in his life. A lesson that we can glean from this is to surround ourselves with positive influences. Even though this is hard to do at a young age, it gets easier and easier to do as you gain greater autonomy. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have a lot of freedom in how you surround yourselves with people. I've always found this corny, but reading this book really strikes this quote with me, and it's, it's really true. Energies are contagious. So the, if you surround yourself with people who have positive energies uh, and people who reflect a person you want to be, you're going to be encouraged to be like them, and you'll become a closer vision of where you want to be as a person. But the connection is not just limited to people you already know. Understanding others being altruistic and not just selfish and surrounding yourselves with positivity, trying to help others become the people they want to be, is also essential essential in allowing them to grow. Wes says, the common kind, the common bond of humanity and decency that we share is stronger than any conflict, any adversity. Fighting for your convictions is important, but finding peace is paramount. Knowing when to fight and when to seek peace is wisdom. Living in an increasingly diverse society, it becomes harder to find peace amongst each other because it is instinctual for us to be alert for danger. We really have to form that community where others feel supported, and that cannot happen if we fear the people in our community. As generalizations become stronger, we have to look toward the examples of the South African people. This quote is pulled from when Wes visits South Africa. He realizes that their rendition of freedom is through finding common ground, not through protesting and finding the differences and fighting for them. It's an essential piece of advice that everyone should carry throughout their interactions to find out what we have in common. As this book clearly illustrates, people are more than their end product. They are products of their journey. You have to be vulnerable enough to realize that any person you interact with is not to blame or praise for where they're at in life. Their journey and circumstances are responsible for it. Their surroundings are key in this. This is key when it comes to the assumptions assumptions we too quickly make when we see people. After reading this book, I've noticed a change within myself that I'm more aware of people who I would not have been able to sympathize with. People in the hallways that, before reading this book, I would have seen them suspiciously. But now I... I gain a better understanding for them, therefore I'm more likely to engage in a meaningful conversation with them and to try to find common ground between one another. That's an important um, moral that this book stresses. When it comes to the influence of people on the journey of life, this book stresses the importance of a positive influence in not just those surrounding you, but the community that's surrounding you. While Wes is in South Africa, he mentions another instance of this community. He says, quote, his tribe's influence in making him a man was obvious and indelible. At that moment, I realized the journey I took was never mine alone either. Our eyes met, and he smiled and nodded his head. I nodded my head in return. This interaction between these two men indicates the commonality between all humans and how our journey is communal between all the people that surround us and our communities that help us grow. In many African tribes, they have this tradition of marking manhood. 
and it's celebrated by all the people in the tribe because the young men are products of the tribe and in many ways a reward for all the hard work that everybody in the tribe has put together. This process seems super far-fetched for us, really hard to connect with, but our culture exhibits a similar ritual. You can see this in graduation. So many parents, family from super far away come out to support their youngsters because they want, they want to see, they, they want to see uh, the product of their hard work. If we want to continue to empower young people, we have to show them that we care about them, not just through graduations, but through engaging in conversation with them, in con conversation with people that you normally wouldn't interact with because now, because you, you need to understand their journey in, under, in order to understand where they've come from. The following message is brought to you by Job Corps. Are you struggling in life? Do you feel like you have no larger purpose? Are you at the lowest of lows? Well, sign up for Job Corps and learn some useful skills that will turn you into a professional in any field. Become a carpenter or a bird whisperer, anything that you can imagine at Job Corps. A uh, quick thank you to our sponsors today, Job Corps. They're doing great work out there and they really support the message of second chances that we're trying to preach today and the message that this book tries to present. Okay, so it'd be really naive to say that all both of the things that we've talked about so far, decision-making and the people that surround you are the only factors in determining how a person's life is going to play out. So much of what happens in our life is not under our control. And often these uncontrollable moments can be the most crucial turning points in our life. We can see this in the example of Mary Moore. When West states, quote, Mary realized that the letter effectively closed the door on her college aspirations. She had already completed 16 hours of college credits and would get no closer to her graduation. West's mom, other West's mom, Mary, was the first person in her family to go to college. And she attended Johns Hopkins University through a Pell Grant. A Pell Grant is still, still exists. It's a subsidy that the U.S. government provides for those who need financial help to stay enrolled in college. When several grants were cut as a response of a new administration in the White House, Mary was directly impacted. Not only was she now in debt, she also had gained nothing through her time at college. She didn't receive a diploma, which could have opened, the, opened up several opportunities to her. If the grant had continued, Mary's life would have been completely different, and so would Wes's. There could have been a murderer, or possible murderer, stopped if Mary uh, in the Pell Grants hadn't gotten cut. Because Tony would have been safe, too. Because of several such incidents where the government has betrayed the trust of its constituents, many people in inner city areas have lost faith in the government. You can look at things like police brutality and the Black Lives Matter movement these days, or as uh, the heavy military spending in our current budget in the United States as examples. Even though it doesn't really seem like it, policy decisions are crucial for the lives of many. A health care decision, for example, can quickly change a person's life. The government has to be held responsible for the actions that they take that change the lives of people for the worse. And too common, people's lives are not being changed for the better, but for the worse. In the political sphere, too often people are blamed for their own misfortune instead of the surroundings that lead them down this path in life. As informed citizens of the United States, you can play a part by electing officials who care about the well-being of everyone and not just those at the top of the income spectrum. 
the success of countries around the world who have put their money into the hands of people within poverty through government-funded social programs shows us that such programs succeed in decreasing crime and increasing the standard of living. There's also a direct relationship between crime and the quality of housing and income in many of these inner-city areas. West points this out explicitly when he alludes to the socioeconomic divide that he experienced very early on in life but did not notice because obviously he was a little kid. He says, quote, Later in life, I learned that the way many governors projected the numbers of beds they need for prison facilities was by examining the reading scores of third graders. Elected officials deduced that a strong percentage of kids reading below their grade level by third grade would be needing a secure place to stay when they got older. I found this really interesting at how government officials actually look at um, reading scores very early on and deduce that later on in life these people are going to become prisoners. That's a really far-fetched assumption to make, but it's true in some cases, in most cases. Elected officials themselves realize that education and the factors that affect education and test scores directly relate to crime statistics. One factor that affects education is the home life, so they should also work to fund inner-city neighborhoods and fix the clear racial segregation present in housing. For both Wes's, they struggled with schoolwork, but their work later on in life shows that these characteristics were not indicative of biological problems like ADHD with learning, but rather a result of instability and disruption in their home life. Therefore, both were able to excel at military schools and job corps, respectively, because they were isolated from the crime-ridden neighborhoods they were from. As the past has shown us, cycles of poverty will continue unless the youth in these communities are offered an alternative path out. But not all hope should be lost. Many nonprofits and government organizations are trying to be the second chance for these troubled youth. Wes even goes on to list these organizations at the end of the book in an extensive table to emphasize the impact that they can have on a person. Wes himself runs an organization called Robin Hood that distributes food to people in Manhattan to alleviate a bit of the stress that these families have to go through. As the public becomes more informed of the disparities between the different classes of people, and as uh, these organizations continue to grow in size, elected officials are beginning to represent the true voice of the people and have started to fund government programs. It has to be said, this problem is also a racial one, though. Even though all this progress is being made, there's a distinct racial barrier that is underscored throughout this whole book. While race isn't explicitly mentioned throughout all of the book, there's definitely an undertone that tells us, talks to us about the racism that's still present in America. West states that, quote, in the United States, we see these same faces and our reflex is to pick up our pace and cross the street. And in this reflexive gesture, the dimensions of our tragedy are laid bare. It's astonishing to me the number of people that perceive African Americans to be lazy individuals, as uh, published in a Pew Research Center document, that many individuals across America, uh, specifically in the South, see African Americans as inherently lazy. This is a really scary philosophy that people have, and not only is it scary, it also correlates with these people being less likely to support government-funded anti-poverty programs. Many people also on the other side of the spectrum like to quote the statistic that African-American males are two times more likely to get arrested. That is clearly the impact of their confined surroundings rooted in a historic system of segregation and oppression. 
where I'm from, Charlottesville, there's this town nearby called Richmond, um, which is known uh, for having many inner city type schools. And there's definite segregation present still today. Uh, the counties of Henrico there were created just for white people to live in and get away from uh, black people who they thought were infiltrating these neighborhoods. It's really hard to think that a country as diverse and progressive as America still has, the, has these polarized views that allow racism and oppression and segregation to still exist. From this book, we can learn three main things. First off, to be really uh, thankful for many of the opportunities that we get, because we can see that many other people don't have the same chances, and to make our decisions with utmost certainty that they're going to make us better people. Secondly, in the line of self-betterment, is to surround yourselves with positive influences, because the people that surround you are part of your surroundings and are an essential role in making you the person you are or you eventually will be. Within this note of surrounding yourselves with people, you should be the person surrounding others by engaging with conversa in conversation with people who you regard as not doing so well off in life because you, don't, you can't really judge them based on their end result, as we can see in this book by the two completely different uh, journeys that both Wesses take to their final end result so that creating that sense of community that West experiences in South Africa is really key in finding common ground between all of us and it's key in making our society more equal in the opportunities and the types of lives that people live. Lastly, we have to pressure our politicians to do a better job. West explains in his book that he goes on to work for President Obama, and he's an intern for the mayor of Baltimore. Both of these people are example, examples of great leaders and politicians that other politicians should aspire to be like. So from this book, we learn that an issue that might seem really far away from you is really tied to, to yourself by, by learning about self-betterment and by learning about how you can play a part in politics and in community making uh, and into making the world a better place by getting rid of crime and by not completely getting rid of but by reducing the amount of crime and poverty that we find in many inner city neighborhoods. I hope uh, you've learned a lot through this podcast and if you haven't already please read The Other Westmore by Westmore. It's a really impactful book and it'll really make you change your perspective on the world and your own surroundings. As we leave, I'm going to leave you with a quote by Maya Angelou about the importance of making other people feel better. As a, that's the key in making the world a better place. She says, quote, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Thank you.